0: Please.
1: Another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Doctor GX Wolfei. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at FunkinStuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First guide to Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership R&B lead and background vocalist Audrey Wheeler. Having first established herself in the early 1980s as part of a Crown Heights Affair Protégé act called Unlimited Touch, she also starred on Jeff Lerber's hit Step by Step and went on to shine on hundreds of other popular artists' recordings. Those include Madonna, Shaka Khan, Billy Ocean, Melba Moore, Freddie Jackson, D-Train, Melissa Morgan, Atlantic star of the system George Benson, Phyllis Hyman, Stephanie Mills, Lisa Lisa, Jennifer Holloway, Regina Bell, Kashif, and her eventual and current husband, Will Downing. A former beauty pageant finalist, she has also released a pair of solo albums, and this September will be among the honorees at the National R&B Music Society's Annual Gala Awards. Congratulations, and thank you for joining the show, Audrey.
0: Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Um, I don't get to do this much, (laughs) but thank you. Not enough, anyway.
1: Well, it's high time. We're going to set that straight.
0: Oh, thank you. Now, uh,
1: so glad we could connect. And where are you today?
0: I am home. I'm in New Jersey. Uh, Just got back from Toronto, Canada, and sounds far away, but it's actually like an hour and 20-minute flight from New Jersey. So, but it was lovely, really. It was a a private party we did, and uh, it was for Pride Week, so it was just festive, as you can imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're working with Shaka now, is that right?
0: Yes, I've been with her over 30 years, which sounds crazy, but it just sounds crazy when you try to pretend to be still young. But it's like, oh, how many years have you been with her? 30 years? They're like, what? So yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow, what a fantastic experience! I'm sure she's my all time favorite. Just so you know, get that out of the way. Yeah, like
0: a mother figure for us. She's very, very spiritual and very funny. That people don't realize can be intimidating when you see her, but she's she sees your uncomfortable energy and she's just like it's okay so yeah but she's also done take no mess as you can imagine <laughs> so that's the part everybody knows about and talks about but really I've learned so much being around her and you know one of the things I want to say is that a lot of times in our careers people look at <laughs> you're a background singer so they think it's a bad thing and it's like it's actually it's like school because you're standing behind these famous people watching them um just control an audience. And if you have any aspirations to be a solo artist, it's like the best trading ground for you, to me anyway. You know, some people don't, they try to look at it like it's a bad thing, but like, you know, who would want to come out and have no experience when it comes to performing, speaking to audiences, carrying yourself a certain way. So to me, it can be a stepping stone. So I hope that those who have aspirations for that would think about it that way, you know?
1: Well, absolutely. And also, I mean, it takes special skill to be able to blend and harmonize. I mean, it's no joke.
0: It's actually harder, but, you know, that's what people don't realize it. Like, there are famous people who, well, a lot of times they sing with themselves on records, like Patti Austin. Patti Austin can blend with everybody, but, you know, Shaka does all of her own backgrounds. I mean, you know, know, there's so many. Marvin Gaye used to do it. Doesn't mean that they couldn't do backgrounds, but it's easier to sing with yourself, obviously. But, imagine every every job you do you're you're meeting new people and you have to try to blame with them it's not easy at all but i love it so i do it
1: yeah well obviously you're expert at it because you've oh. done hundreds of recordings and uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know uh, i think they feel good knowing you're back there helping cover them
0: it does help They <laughs> some of them do turn around and say oh okay why you doing with so it it makes you feel good to know especially if you've sung on their record and now you're you're performing live and they always look to see who they know over there like who's over there and then they say oh, okay great I know her and I know him so it's a positive you know it's 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 a career that I've had so I'm, I'm appreciative of it
1: yeah so Audrey uh going back you're from Jamaica Queens right mm-hmm. and gosh what a hotbed of amazing yeah. music uh jazz hip-hop just mm-hmm. r b everything like that what was it like for you growing up and how did you gravitate to music?
0: So for me, I'm, I'm one of eight. And honestly, I had very strict up, upbringing. So a lot of other, when I speak to people who in New York who are doing the same thing as me or started with me, a lot of them had the opportunity to go to like music and art in Manhattan. And my parents were like, you're not getting on the train. You're not going, you're not. No, I went to Catholic school for eight years. So for me, I just, I loved music. I always sang, I found a spot in my house and I would just sing. and my older brother was big on music. So he you know, he was the oldest, so he would buy records and I would just listen to Earth on the Fire and Chaka and you know, just listen to different groups. And every chance, whenever he would leave his room or go to work or go to school, I would be in his room fiddling with the stuff and just singing along to it. And what started happening in my family was I would put his headphones on and sing. And I'd have my eyes closed and I'd be trying to, you know, mimic what I was hearing. And I would open my eyes and my whole family would be standing behind me like, just like clap. That's how they found out that I could sing. They were like, what? So, you know, my parents were, it was cute to them, but my mother was the practical one and was always like, oh, that's so nice. There's so many people who saying, you know, she saw no aspirations, no, nothing to do with a job. And my dad was one of those follow your dreams type person because he almost made it in the NBA and, you know, stuff like that. So he would later on in life, he kind of pushed me to if that's what you really want to do. So I went through Catholic school. um, And then by the time I got to high school, middle school, there was no middle school. Catholic school was one through eight. By the time I got to high school, um, someone recommended me to to, uh, a teacher that was putting on a play. And I remember I was in the 10th grade and it required me to stay after school. My parents, they had to come to my house, speak to my parents to get permission for me to stay after school to do this. And that's how it started. This teacher just took a liking to me. And well, actually more than that, apparently he told people that this is going to be my meal ticket out of teaching. I'm going to make this girl. I didn't know that at the time. I was just happy that my parents allowed me to do it. And from there, it just started by the time I, I, um, was in the 12th grade, someone else I got picked, chosen to be in Miss Black America, a pageant. And by that time I had gotten used to singing in front of people, my fears were, you know, kind of not as bad as it was when I first started. And that was a that was definitely a stepping stone for me as far as it it was like charm school. They taught you how to do your makeup, how to dress, how to speak, you know, you had to do a little who do you, who's important to you and you know, in, in politics. So that's how it really started. High school was a big thing for me and beauty pageants, obviously. So it, it made it made quite an impression on me.
1: What was your song of choice for the pageant?
0: I did a song that I could not even do again if I wanted to. It was a song by Melville Moore called Lean on Me. And if you know anything about that song, it's extremely high. And you hold this note forever. And at the time I was 19, eight, seventeen. 17, I could do it. <laughs> I have, I've gotten the pleasure of singing with Melba. So when I first did a session for her, I was like, oh my, I was freaking out. And she was just like, what is what is it, baby? I was just like, oh my, you don't know? Because they called me Minnie Wheels in high school because I used to do Mini Rippleton and Lean On Me. That was the song that took, pe- took people over the top, you know, at that time. So that was, and, and I loved Natalie Poe. That was my other, I loved her. I did every song she could ever do. And when I got to meet her and, sing with her live. It was, it was a big deal. You know, I still, the thing about it to me is as much as I've done the day that it becomes old for you, or you're over it, or you still don't get excited. A famous person told me that's the day you need to retire the day. You don't need to do it anymore, or you need to retire. And uh, that's my current boss. Shaka Khan told me that when I first started working with her and she's almost like, did I say that? She forgot that she said it, but it was, it was, I always it stayed with me since 1990s. I, I remember the day that I'm bored about something, I need to question myself. Like, if you think you can't learn anymore, you know, what are you doing this for? You know?
1: Yeah. Quick uh, reality and gut check. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Audrey, what was your first, you know, real break, you know, in terms of either on stage or in a studio?
0: So. I, th- I want to say, after the beauty pageant, I did not win. I came in second, first or second. And in the audience, uh, I didn't know it, but at the time, th- some of the judges was the group. Well, three members of the group, Crown Heights affair. So, as I was leaving, I went to greet my family. You know, people consulting, You should have won, and you know, and they came over to me, and they said, "You got, you got ripped off. You should have won this pageant." Because I was the youngest one in the pageant. These were women, like 24. They had done many pageants, but this was my first. And so to hear that from this group that my dad and my mother were like, oh my gosh, this is Brown Knight's, you know, affair. So they gave my father a card. And again, they came to the house and they told my parents, listen, we have this group. Uh, it's a Limited Touch is the name of the group. It's, it's like a, a chic sort of group, you know, modeled after chic. They had two sisters at the time who were in the group, but they decided this was not for them. So they were starting over when it came to the vocals. And, um, you know, of course, that's not what I envision. You know, when you first start singing, you think I'm going to be Stephanie Mills. or I'm going to be whoever was at that time. But at that point, I was just happy. You want me to go around and travel and make money doing? Yes. Sign me up. Yes. So, they, you know, they they had to get my parents permission because I was... 18. I think at that time I was 18. Um, and that's how it started. And then the song took off and I hear music was a hit and I was touring from that point on. So I, my journey, um, I'd have to say it's, it's like a dream. It's not like everybody else. This is a different world now, obviously with social media, you know, people are doing things online, but at that time you had to be out there, you know, like you know, going from show to show to club to club, it's just different than the way it is now. Everybody's instant stars, in my opinion, anyway. So, so yeah,
1: that was 1981, right, Mm -hmm. thereabouts? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, those records, you know, they had, you know, they were aimed at the dance floor, but they had some funk. It wasn't just straight disco, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the musicians in the band, if you knew anything about Lenny Underwood and Sandy, Anderson, they created it and they were totally into funk. They were into a lot of things and, and dance music, as you said, you know, it was different then that's when people were roller skating and there were so many clubs, you know, now it's like, now it seems to be coming back. Like I hear roller skating, it's coming back, which is so dumb to say coming back, but people are starting to do it again. So for me, I didn't, I'll be honest with you. I didn't care what type of music I was singing. I was just happy to be singing on it. And Crown Heights also, any productions that they did, like they did Enchantment, I'm singing. I did the demo for France Jolie, you know, that's she modeled her lead after what I sang. So they, the Jamaican, you know, um, the Jamaica girls ended up singing backgrounds on um, then Roy Morgan. But I did all the demos. I was like their demo queen. So I'm like, they would pay me a couple of dollars, you know, just to come sing this song. I wrote this song. I need you to sing it. So this is all training ground to me, you know? So yeah, it was dance music, but there was obviously the musicians in the band were and are still are, um, they're sidemen for so many people. Our guitar player, Phil, Phil Hamilton is, he's played with Luther for years and he's now with Anita Baker. So we all are still working and still actually doing gigs again, believe it or not. We started back up in 2019, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, did you do any TV appearances with Unlimited Touch? Or
0: we did not, because the thing was that we didn't know. We uh, were limited to um, down south, like a lot of college towns, New York. We didn't know the reach, and we were on Prelude Records. And our management at the time, he didn't inform us. Like we had no idea we had fans in Europe. We could have been. That's why it's so weird to us now. We went to France. They had us come. And Scott, they treated us like we were, you know, Luca Vandros. They, they had a dinner for us and pictures. And I was just like, so we're like, we could have been coming here, you know, performing. Uh, we just had no idea that there was this love of our group. So we did not do, uh, when I got with Jeff Lorber, my first TV was American Bandstand. That's the first thing I did. And I did soul training later on want to do it with someone. But other than that, no, we didn't get to do any of that. Sorry to say, but we did not.
1: But do you remember first hearing Unlimited Touch on the radio? I'm assuming that's the first time you heard yourself on the radio?
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, was, I think I was driving. I finally learned to drive. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And, then, you know, I mean, never felt like star or anything like that. But it was more like just a feeling. It's just like. You know, every time it comes on, you ch- even now, you know, I have a child, a daughter, not a child. She'd kill me if I said that. Um, but when she hears it, people will say to her, you know, or my husband will say, you know, that's your mom. And she's just like, what, that's you mom? So yeah, it's still, you still feel it. And on a lot of records that I've sung on that have been, you hear them now, you hear it on, on, on TV, on the radio, it doesn't matter, in a commercial, you know, we heard a song that I did with uh, Billy Ocean, And it was part of a Applebee commercial and people calling me, you need to call and get residuals. That's you. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. So yeah, it's always a thrill. Still a thrill for me.
1: Yeah. When you became the go-to, you know, secret weapon for the Crown Heights Affair guys, um, what did you learn early on that helped you sort of refine what you were doing in the studio and really become, you know, a pro early on?
0: So they were very, um, it's weird. It's little things that may, most people maybe would not get. But one of the things that they used to say to us when we would get in the studio, if we were doing an up-temple song, when you're singing, you're trying to focus on, as you said, blending uh, the rhythm, You know the right words. You, you're focused on it. So you're kind of like tight, like you're singing and, you're, and, and the microphone is there and you're like, and they would always say, move your body. Christ would always say, Y'all are singing like this and you sound just like you're singing. So we, I need you to come on, clap your move. You know, you can't clap because it'll affect the singing. But so when I find myself struggling with something or, you know, trying to do the right thing, I, eat, I tell myself to move or breathe because a lot of times you're so excited to do the part. And if you're struggling with it, it's more like focus. Make sure you're breathing the correct way. Everyone thinks when you breathe, you're sucking your stomach in, but you're actually not. You're blowing your stomach out like a balloon, and it's slowly dissipating. It sounds technical, but those are things that I can never how to hold out air for long times because a lot of Crown Heights were horn players, the majority of them. We had this other piece, but the person who produced us was Ray Reed, and he was a horn player. Um, you know, Bubba, who we call you know William Anderson, was the guitar player, but they just. Gave us the techniques and also introduced me to a lot of musicians who I still work with now. You know, they would have these people come in and play on Francis record on Enchantment, on whatever group they was producing. Um, They would have different. And I would meet these people who I didn't know at the time because I was so young. They were veteran performers. And so what happens is they see how good you are in the studio and that you're young. And then they give you a call. Hey, my friend so-and-so wants to use you on his recording. And it just grows, it grows. And from there, it was like Arthur Baker, who did a lot of dance stuff and all the, the you know, the movies, the dance, the dance movies, and all that stuff that was done. I, I got recommended to him, Jelly Bean Benitez, Louis Vega. I started meeting all of these DJs and they started calling me to, just, to sing on their sessions. And then it grew into LL Cool J. And Russell Simmons Company, they started calling me. I sang on Fat Boys. I sang on LL stuff. I sang on all of that stuff in the earlier days. I didn't care what type of music. It was just, you want me to sing? Cool. You know, I was a little uncomfortable with the rap guys because I was Catholic school girl. And, you know, they're, they're, you know they were a little intimidating, but they were just as down to earth as anything. But I couldn't believe it was a pinch myself moment. Like, oh, my God, I'm singing with... You know, at the time, rat was still new. But it's still, I was just like, and you're paying me for this. I would call my mother. I had four sessions today. You know, oh my God, I made this much money, you know. and So it was a thrill. You know, that's where it started for me. It's So it's word of mouth in this industry.
1: And all the beauty pageant stuff got you prepped, I guess. So on stage, you were pretty comfortable, you know, was. for performing.
0: I've always been known. Anyone who, if if they're watching it, they went to high school with me. They will laugh because I was always the makeup girl, always, you know, even in the plays that I did in high school, whoever was acting, I, I was in um, Guys and Dolls, I was in Wendy and Peter Pan, and the whoever had to kiss me would always be like, oh, God, she wears all this makeup and I don't want to. So it just, and then the pageant just enhanced it. I first time I ever saw myself, you know, fully glammed up, I was just like, I just knew I wanted to learn how to do it. So it just grew. Everything, in my opinion, was a stepping stone. I didn't know it at the time. So whenever I would complain, you know, my mother, oh, I'm so tired. I had so many sessions today. She would say, Audrey, you know how many people would die to be in your, in your feet, you know, in your shoes? They would love to be your friends who you went to school with, you know, who are working at McDonald's, not that there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's, but, you know, who have, who want to do this. This is their dream too, and they, you know, it didn't happen for them. So that was another humbling. My mother was such a, God rest her soul. She was amazing in terms of, she was my best friend, the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So she would tell me, she would like, you know, not slap you on the hand, but just be like, hey, look, stop complaining. i be like, okay, mom. And I remember all of these things when I feel myself feeling like, oh God, I have to get on a plane. I have not to catch myself like you, but especially after the pandemic, oh, that was crazy you know the music industry got we didn't get any love in my opinion we were devastated by work everything was on zoom like this
1: it sounds like you had a good balance though between your mom and your dad with you know him being the kind of dreamer and her being the you know practical voice she was a nurse she yeah. was a
0: nurse my dad was a sky cap for united so you know like you said he had aspirations to he played ball in in, in uh, the army And uh, he was really good and, you know, he almost made it into, and I have twin brothers. They, I'm not a twin, they're twins. Um, One of them almost made it to Charlotte Hornets. So it's, it it was a good balance of practical and, you know, don't let anyone destroy your dreams, you know? So that was the beauty of it. I can look at it now, but at the time, you know, I just felt like my mom was a hater. Like, you know, you sure you don't want to get a job? And I actually had to in the beginning, when things slow down and if you never kind of establish yourself, my mother and father were like, Hey, until you're making all this money, you need to put some money on the dresser for like the rest of your brothers and sisters. So I became a makeup artist. I worked in Macy's um, in Manhattan, 34th street. And that was my little supplemental job until the big break came And the big break was unlimited touch. I had to go out on faith. Like I'm, I'm doing this every day, nine to five. And now, we have a small tour to go down South and do all these colleges. And so it's like, Ooh, you know, my mother and father, Are you sure you want to, you're going to leave your job at Macy's. Cause you sometimes with those type of jobs, they give you only a certain amount of days after that. They just like, you know, we have to replace you because you keep leaving or going away and you're not available. So it's a lot. There's a lot of, a lot that goes with this, this world. It sounds very glamorous, but. When you have children things change so it's a career you have to love I will say that you better love it
1: yeah the limited touch you know you mentioned the chic sort of model mm-hmm. uh, at the time I also compared and thought of it similar to some of the solar records acts too oh, yeah, yeah, you know
0: yeah, yeah I've met some of them and I heard that and I also heard Atlantic Star at the time when Atlantic star came out I've become really good friends with Sharon and the group and most of the musicians and at that time they started comparing us and, you know, and two may, I loved loved to voice. voice, So, yeah. So for me, these were all models, you know what I mean? But you're right. I think physically the way we looked was two girls with four guys in the back. So like a dynasty kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: so why did it end up at just being two records? What happened?
0: Well, there was an issue with management, if I'm honest. Um, as I said, the guys in the group wrote most of the material, but the credit was being taken from them, sort of, and I'm not gonna say whom, because we've gotten past it. Uh, but they started finding out, like us finding out that we had this fan base in Europe. We never knew you know, that. And and then as we started doing other, um, working with other people, you start to learn, well, I should've got this, or I should've got residuals, or we never got paid for this, that, like. Um, one of the guys in our, well, two of the guys in the band, um, the song that Faith did, they basically took I Hear Music, and it's the background music. And, you know, they later on received a whole bunch of money because they wrote the songs. And so it was little, it was really a situation of music of management and us. And so three of the members were like, I'm out. He doesn't want to pay us this. You know, we're not this. They left. And me, Sandy, and Stephanie decided to do one more record. And then eventually, same thing was happening, same management. Um, and after that, we kind of dissipated. We always stayed in touch, always call each other for different sessions. And you know, birthdays, we always called each other, but everybody just started growing at a certain pace. Our drummer was a more into, you know, Latino uh, and jazz. Lenny's played for everyone as well. Phil, Sandy was doing more funk because Sandy was the bass player. Um, and he was just this funk bass player and was doing a lot of rap stuff. So we all just kind of, Stephanie and I have done, we sang, t- toured with Linda Ronstadt, we've done Freddie Jackson together, you know, so we all kind of went our own way, but always stayed in touch. Cause that was, we were kids. So we, we always, even now when we get around each other to rehearse, me and Stephanie are grown women and we fall right into this silly giggly it's just dumb. It's like, I don't do, I don't really have it with anyone else, but we just start laughing at funny stuff or silly stuff to us. But um, we've come such a long way, but it's refreshing to be young like that, you know, again.
1: It sounds like um, Unlimited Touch was sort of like your university for music, you know?
0: It it was, it was, we say it was school. Certainly, when we look back on stuff that went down, we always laugh and say, who knew? Who knew this? Who knew that this You know, like, uh, you know, we remember when they would do clap tracks and they would have these big boards and, you know, people don't know, maybe they do know by now, but instead of us really being in the room, we would clap, but they would have these big wood planks and you would sit there and go, they would have us do it because, you know, your hands would start hurting after a while. Mm -hmm. Now they have you, it's all programmed. There's no real live claps in, in records anymore. So, yeah. So all of that stuff was That and also tracking where you initially, when I first started singing, you would sing four tracks of of vocals. You would sing all four tracks. Now they get one or two good takes. You might double it and they fly it, quote unquote, all over the track. That was not around when I first we were there for hours doing an entire dance. Think about a dance track. Like Stephanie and I are the background singers on Funky Sensation. That's like another kind of big record that it's a sound. Once, we, once people found out that we were singing on Funky Sensation, that's when everyone came out and they were like, who are those girls? We want that sound on our record. So that was a huge record, you know, to this day. Like when we do a show now, we add all the songs that we are singing on. I'm singing on Dying To Be Dancing, Um, all the stuff that Crown Heights produced pretty much I'm doing. So a lot of them, French Jolie, you know, and she had like a French accent, but she was trying to emulate what I sang on the demo. So when I hear it on the radio, some songs, I'm not really singing backwards on. Like I I did the demo for, I did the demo, but they hired the girls, the Jamaican girls to do it. But when I hear it, I think, oh, I'm singing on that, but I'm actually not. I just did the demo and I lived with the song before it became a hit. So, but yeah, there's that. It's it's a when I look back at all that I've done, I'm still amazed. Like people remind me, you sang on this. Um, you know, I sang on Mickey's first Mickey Howard's first record. I did the whole album with her, just her, me and the producer. So when you look back and then the record blows up, you're always you just don't know, you don't know what's gonna be a hit. And it's those. Songs that you sing on that you guys never get to hear. It just didn't click or didn't blow up into a big hit. But, you know, like an example, I don't know if you know, there's a song that I did with a guy named Omar Chandler. It was a duet of This Must Be Heaven. And yeah, and it was a remake of This Must Be Heaven. It was a session. I was there doing backgrounds and I was ready to leave. And Omar was like, because I've known him since he was a kid. And um, he was like, no, I want you to do the the girl part. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I did it and it blew up because he was known as the guy from, um, what's the rap song? It takes you to make a thing, whatever song that is. He was the voice of that. And so he got a record deal from that and he wanted to do this must be heaven. And that is the first time I did Soul Train, believe it or not, with him and a showtime at the Apollo.
1: What, what year no, was that about?
0: Oh, I don't know. It had to be. 93, 92, I'm thinking in there. Anywhere from in there. But yeah, it was like a one hit, but they loved him. He was that guy from that, that record. So, uh, and he, he sadly passed away in years, a couple of years, well, not more than a couple in a very tragic way. But the point is that was one of those sessions that you don't expect. This is just a session. I'm getting paid for it. You know, I don't think I'm going to hear this on the radio. You do that a lot. Because you don't know what, what new genres are going to be. You just don't know. You know, all music sounds great at the time, but you don't know what radio or the people are going to like. So right. you're just hired, you know.
1: Audrey, who do you see early on, say like in the early 80s, perform that just really kind of impressed you? And you said, I want to emulate what she's doing on stage or what she's doing on record.
0: So I really was a fan of Melba Moore, uh, if I'm honest. I clearly was copying her records. And I saw her and I saw her on like um, the telethons. You know, they would do, that was an opportunity to see R&B acts really because it wasn't a lot of, you know, Soul Train obviously, but a lot of times Soul Train was not real singing. They were they were lip syncing. So, but I loved Earth and Fire. Um, I really was a fan of, like I said, Natalie Cole. So they were, their careers, especially Natalie. I loved what Melba did live, but Natalie's trajectory as an artist was how I envisioned how everyone in high school thought I was gonna be, oh, you're gonna be, you're gonna be Natalie Cole. And so I sang all of her stuff. I, I got so sick of singing Mr. Melody, but people would say, you know, from high school, uh, I want you to sing at my wedding. You're gonna sing at my wedding. It's like, okay. But yeah, those were artists that were Earth, Wind & Fire, Melba Moore, and Natalie Cole, I would have to say, were big time records for me. Yeah. And
1: you got to see Natalie in concert.
0: Um, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I, you know, everybody knew I loved her, so I think I got to go. My first concert was Earthland and Fireball. uh It was at the Nassau Coliseum in New York City or Long Island, Long Island, <laughs> and um, that was my first. I saw them, and it was just like. You know, I mean, me and my sisters. And then the Jackson 5, obviously. I mean, my dad worked at Madison Square Garden, so he got all his girls. It was just five of us. And we got, he got us in. He snuck us in. We had no seats. We just sat on, the, every time we sat in someone's seat, they would come, we'd have to move. But we were just like, Jackson 5, you know, because there was five guys, there was five girls in our family. So we would all say, I'm going to marry him. Michael was my husband at the time. You know, so these were all things that, based on showmanship, that you just, it's a dream in your head. And like I said, I had a mother that was, you know, oh, baby, that's come on. You got to have a backup. I mean, that's a dream. There's a lot of talented people out there. My mother was just practical, you know. So, sure. yeah, it helped in, in terms of me being blessed for what I do. I know I have a blessed life for sure. Yeah.
1: How did you make the Lorber connection?
0: So, once again, I was hired to sing backgrounds on Jeff Lorber's album through uh, The System. Mike Murphy in The System was producing it. And I hadn't worked with Mike a lot. I think this might've been my second session. So one producer, I can remember, and this is not a name dropping thing, but I can remember singing on Freddie Jackson on Jam Tonight, big song, sang on it. Kashif calls the producer, which was Paul Lawrence and says, <clears throat> I need those girls. Whoever you got singing on that, I, I want those girls. So when he told them our names, he was just like, oh, well, I use them already. I, I know Audrey, I know Cindy Mizelle. I know that. He was just like, I know them. How'd you get them to sound like that? And he's just like, hey man, that's my secret to, you know, you do what you do with them. And the same thing happened with Barry Eastman. So a lot of them talked to each other, you know, they would be like, who'd you get that sound with? So, it's definitely word of mouth. Uh, well, it was back then. I don't know how it works now. And so with Jeff Lorber, I sang on the record. I did not know that at the time Jeff had auditioned a lot of singers to sing the lead. I was just strictly, hey, we need you to do a whole album. And the whole album, you just all you're saying is, Well, I'm getting to work with this well known producer and he's paying me per song. I'm in. So after we finished singing, they stopped me and they said, Hey. We auditioned, all of my friends had tried out for it, but Jeff didn't like their voices or or said, nah, not the right sound. And he asked me, did I want to try to learn this, you know, I want to audition. I was like, okay, you know. And I sang it, never thinking anything of it. Sang it, went home, I think they called me and said, "Um, Jeff loves your voice and Clive Davis loves your voice. So are you willing to, and I'm just going, what? (laughs) Because I knew all the people who had tried out and their name, background singers, artists that you would know if I dropped names, but they had already tried. And I'm like, "He like my over," You know, you're always like, huh? So did it, perfected it, fixed it, did it perfectly. And that was my first real tour of the country was with Jeff Orton. that, And I also did um, American Bandstand. And yeah, so that was my first everything as far as by myself you know my parents you know my mother at that point you know i'm older now and she had to i was in my 20s and but still young and i had really primarily been focused on background in the studio i never toured really so that was my first you know and jeff went to some really different places than r b acts go to if you know what i mean i'd be like catalina island the places i probably would never have even heard of we did portland portland maine you know, Boston. I had never been to these places, honestly. So that was my first tour tour. Aside from you know limited touch was more local.
1: Yeah, because he brought some of that legacy jazz mm-hmm. stuff Both. with him. Right. Uh yeah. And that I think is still his biggest. I think that was his biggest oh, yeah. hit ever.
0: Yeah. Well, he did have one after me with um oh god, I'm getting her name, uh Superwoman. Um Oh, Karen White. Yeah, she came after me. She was after but she had a bigger career than me after solo. She was that was a stepping stone for her as well. Um, It was um, I forgot what it was called, but step by step was a bigger song. I will say that we Jeff let me after the tour was over, Jeff was like, hey, if you want to go around New York City and do do track dates with it. And I was like, (laughs) and I did. They would call me and I was making money off, you know, appearing you know doing step by step and i would do the song and you know make money and that was a beautiful thing that jeff let me do that you know you know did restrict me
1: how did it feel uh sort of transitioning to you know being a lead presence on stage doing a song like that as opposed to being in the background
0: it was at that point it was more like oh my gosh my dreams are coming you know what i mean it was more almost like this is the perfect step it's going from me singing, and I did not care about singing backgrounds. I love singing backgrounds because it is an art. Like you said, it's a challenge for me. If you present um, Latin music to me, if you present r b pop, it, it's a challenge to be able to, you'd like to think that you can do it all. So you don't ever want to say, hey, I'm doing this. Um, I mean, I've sung in different languages. You never want to say, I can't do that. You want to challenge yourself. So for me, the challenge of doing the background brought its own, you know, joy to me. But to now have my, that's when I really heard my voice on the radio again, after Unlimited Touch and just was just like, that's me, oh my gosh, you know. And, you know, roller skating was big then so it was a big roller skating song as well. And touring with Jeff was different because I also to, it was different than what I had been doing because he gave me percussions. So I was, you know, playing to, I've never played in my life but he gave me some sticks and a tambourine and shakers. And I would do that on the numbers where I wasn't singing, where he was doing fusion stuff. And even now, Jeff, I don't, I haven't seen Jeff in years, but he's running into my husband. I was like, tell Audrey, you know, he's asked for my number on Messenger. It's just weird because, you know, this is someone that I, when I first met him, I was just like, you're a legend. And, you know, now you can kind of consider them friends. Because um, when we did American Bandstand, um Gerald Albright, was actually the bass player. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know he played saxophone. I found out like years later, I always knew him as a bass player. And people were like, what? He's an incredible sax player. It's like, oops, (laughs) you know. So I still get that excitement. I still find out things about my industry. And I would love for there to be a vehicle or a way to, I don't know if it's seminars or just to teach the industry has changed so much so I don't know if what I would have to offer would be considered old but I just think there's so many steps that are being stepped over nowadays everybody wants to jump from singing in their house to I'm a star and yeah not so much because it's a lot of artists now that if you hear them live they don't sound like the record and there's a reason so many so much is being done in the studio that it's like, what about what about really singing part? <laughs> you know? So yeah, it was just a different energy touring with a jazz artist, if I'm honest. It was, it was great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so did that success sort of parlay or set the path for you to be able to get the solo deal?
0: Oh, uh, actually, my solo deal came about. It's another weird story. My solo deal came about because I was touring with Freddie Jackson and Freddie Jackson's a very generous, very, you know, you know, doesn't have any, you know, doesn't wants to give shine to his side people. And Shaka Khan is very much like that too. Um, so he, he would break down the music and say, you want to hear my girls? And it was just like, we're like, what? So he was out, I-, I want you to hear my singers. And, you know, at that time you're just like, I'm going for it. You know, you know, it can feel somewhat competitive, but it was just like, He's given me a chance to sing, I'm gonna sing. And Freddie Jackson was on Capitol Records. And in every city we went to, there was a rep. You know, they're in Charlotte, they're in J- Jacksonville, New York. So they all started talking about me, like this girl is doing a solo, she's killing it. And the next thing I know, I'm getting an offer for a deal on Capitol. I'm like, what? I can't even begin to tell you, you know, the shock. And I think I actually made my mother really proud because you know, I did it in spite of, if you know what I mean. It's, it's like, it's not going against your mom, but you, I proved myself to her. And I've, I've always had that, I have a daughter just like it. She's in theater, she sings a beautiful voice, uh, but she never wants help, from me and my husband, which is strange, believe it or not. Rarely does she want help, so I get it. You want to be able to say, look what I did on my own. Look what I did, mommy. So I get it, but yes, that's how I got a solo deal on Capitol Records. That is how it happened, believe it or not. And then that's when I did other TV shows. I had done stuff for capital for promotions and, and I was more comfortable at that point. Still, you're always questioning yourself because one of the questions that they would always ask is, what makes you, as a solo artist, what makes you stand out over Mariah Carey? Over, they would always ask you that. And it's just like, I, that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to stand out. I'm bringing my coloring. My style, you know, to to a record. Hopefully, people love it. It's never about knocking anyone out. Well, for me, it wasn't. You know, knocking someone out the box. It's just you just hope people like your voice. So, but the, they would always ask in interviews on BET. It was just like, I don't have an answer. I, I don't know why I'm. You should choose me over. I just hope you like this song. So that's what I would always say. I hope you love, enjoy the song. So
1: now that uh, record. Um... It had Preston Glass on there, who's been on the show, and also oh. Lionel Job, who worked with um, Starpoint, and I just mm-hmm. had them on. He so. was my man,
0: And it's funny. I don't know if you know, he just passed as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He literally just passed days ago. I was talking to his, his daughter, and uh, I did not know someone told me. So, yes, Lionel was extremely knowledgeable about the industry, and I went with him because of Atlantic, um, Starpoint. Sorry. People always do that. Yeah. I I... I I loved Starpoint. That was another group that I really loved. And so because he was managing them, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to trust this guy. And he took me to the music conventions, the the BRE, you know, all the stuff. I don't even know if that happens anymore, but I got to go to these conventions when he would promote me as his artist or promote me, you know, you would go to the, go to the Capitol suite, you know, you're, you're an artist on Capitol, let the reps meet you. So yeah, it was a learning experience in the 90s, throughout the whole 80s, 90s. It was a learning experience, totally. Yeah.
1: How did you feel about that first record? And do you have any particular memories about
0: it? Um, I will say I was somewhat intimidated by Preston because I, I had to leave the tour with Freddie and have a sub do the tour. And I flew out to San Francisco and he was, he's to this day, I'm I'm really, I'm so cool with them. I love them. Um, His wife, especially, they made me feel so at home. My parents even came out to hang out. And my mother was just like, you know, like now she's like, I get it. I get it. This is a big deal. You know, I knew that he had worked with Narada Michael Walden. So I was just like, this guy's right for me. Are you kidding me? So it was very, um, the good thing was that they removed me from New York. And they took me out to San Francisco and we did it there. And when we mixed, I think we mixed in New York. It was an honor. I mean, just to sing with this guy who, who was so sweet. He's the sweetest, I'm sure you've interviewed him. He's a lovely man, you know, Preston. He's got a calm, cool manner. And his, his wife and their daughter made me feel like home. You know, they took me out, you know. I didn't feel like I was, I was there all by myself as a, as a woman, but you know, they treated me like family. So that was a great experience
1: And how did you feel about how the finished product came out and the reception and that kind of thing?
0: I loved it i um I, I don't know that I, I remember the first single was irresistible and'm I'm, I'm not sure after they did a video and everything I was like I didn't know how that was going to stand out. There were ballads on there that i because I love ballads I'm, that's the school I come from, so it was a little fear, you know, of how it would be perceived and how people would. And I remember uh, Tawatha from Intumi, I had done BET and she called me, which was, I didn't know her well. I think I had done a few sessions with her, but I was still like intimidated. And she was like, girl, I'm so proud of you. I saw you on BET today and it's so good to see someone representing, you know, for the, and I was just like, oh, thank you. So there was pride, you know, um, when it didn't blow up as big as I would like, there was obviously, oh, well, from what I was told, there was a lot of um, shifting at Capitol. And the person who was my A&R person got fired. And whoever took on, and it happens so much, whoever took on the roster just decided, eh, hey, I'm not feeling her. So they just dropped me. And I was fortunate enough that I had never stopped doing backgrounds. You know, because that's what a lot of us do. You know, you're busy or you think, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but you believe the hype. I'm about to blow up. I'm about to be. And when it doesn't happen, now you have to start. Well, not start, but if you get, let your ego get out of control, people are not going to hold a spot for you. And, you know, other singers are not going to say, oh, come, welcome back. It's, you know, or if you act a certain way to producers and you're not, you haven't been being like available to them, why would they call you that? So it's like little etiquette things that you you should. I don't know that everyone has done that, but that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you're thinking the right way. What if? And that, in my opinion, that is where my mother comes into play. And I don't want to get emotional thinking about her. But because of her saying, you know, come on now, don't, don't get too big for your britches. You know, I think that I was smart that I still kept doing like someone would say, oh, I know you got a record out. So you probably won't sing. On. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, sing on your record. So thank God I still did that. You know, and I, I, I got to credit my mother for that. I
1: was going to yeah. say you're, you're smart about it clearly. And you were a pro, you know, But didn't
0: realize I was being smart. I was just, I want to say fear. I'm sure played into it of what if this doesn't, you know, I had had success with unlimited touch and then step by step. So what if this doesn't, you know, so it was just trying to be smart. Then I lucked up and I got another deal on Nah Rogers label. That was another opportunity that I, ear candy i i wasn't expecting i just kept doing my job singing with artists you know whatever whoever you know would call me and would have pay me my rate i was just like sure i'm available i started doing jingles in new york city so it just kept growing in different ways that uh that i couldn't have imagined
1: wasn't melba on capital also
0: yes she was yeah Mm -hmm. i thought so So Mm -hmm. it was like and they were all part of this management team, Hush Productions. So they they had an inroad. Freddie, um, I think Naji was on, and I sang on Naji's albums, and I toured with Naji. That's another artist that um, believed in my solo voice. Naji took me out after Freddie, and I toured with him, and that was the jazz, you know, world. And it was different because you're usually the only girl, and you sing. You know, I used to close the show with him, and that was another positive moment for me where someone loved my voice outside of a group setting, you know, singing backgrounds. So that was another stepping stone for me with Najee. And I grew up with Najee, that's another thing. The whole Jamaica Queens thing. Najee knew me when I was a little girl with pigtails. He would always introduce me on stage, which was so weird. because so I knew this little girl when she was a little girl with pigtails and everyone told me she could sing and you, you gotta watch out for her. And I met, you know, I met so many people from the Jamaica, you know, I worked with so many of them not knowing they were legends at the time. Tom Brown, I sang in Tom Brown's basement and all I remember was his cheeks would blow up and I, you know, I didn't know he was this famous until Jamaica Funk came out. And then it's like, hey, that's that guy. I met Marcus Miller outside of a park. Someone introduced me, me to Marcus and said, this little girl can sing. So all of these, my whole career has been about stepping stones, if I'm honest, you know.
1: Um what was now Rogers like? You know, how did you first encounter him?
0: So I I had done a session for him and I didn't know he was starting a label on BM BM BMG, I think it was. And or BM yeah, BMG, I think it was. But um and uh when I say I guess God has truly blessed me and I know I'm blessed, it was definitely a situation of me singing and me, me being like I never I'm never looking for it. I'm not pursuing a deal. And I came to do a session for him at his studio. He had a studio in the 50s uh 50th Street. And uh, they said, now nah I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I came into the office and he was just like, hey, I'm starting a label and I think you'd be a great artist to be my first, you know, female artist. And I was like, and I, now remember, this is not the first time I've had a deal. So, you know, now you're like, is this the one? Is this the one that's gonna... And you know, I took a chance on it. I feel like I had more input into the music than I did before. I remember that I loved this song by People, Bryson. Can you stop the rain? And I was the one that said, "I want to do that. I want to do a remake of that song." And I recently worked with People, and uh, whenever we talk, I'm always like, "How do you feel about the fact that I, I did your song over?" He's, "Oh, you sing beautifully." So it always seems to come full circle in some way you know, having worked with all these people. Yeah.
1: And, and that record, you got Najee on there and also Timmy Allen played some bass, great bass player.
0: Yep. One of my um, friends. Yeah. And D train, my husband who was not my husband at the time. Yeah. I got them. I love D train. That's a whole nother, if, you, if you've never interviewed him.
1: Oh, he's he, been on. Yeah.
0: He's
1: hilarious. He, he's, the he, funniest. He, he's so I demonstrative know. and, uh, I actually yeah. had a bunch of, we, we talked a long time and I had a bunch of extra that I couldn't use, but it was just so much fun oh, talking he's a, to him. He's a,
0: he's, let me tell you, him and my husband went to high school together and they went to Erasmus in Brooklyn and D-Train, if people don't know, was a football player and his, they called him D-Train because he would knock people down like a train, but on the side, he was this incredible singer and my husband was approached to be in D-Train. But my husband had more of an R&B jazz sensibility. And when it didn't work out with him, he suggested D-Train to Hubert Eves. And the rest is history. So, I mean, whenever you would do a, a D-Train session, Hubert was an amazing talent because he 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 was in he played with M2 May. So, again, producers are the legends for me. And, you know, D has become like him and Willer. When he comes to our home to record, we know maybe two hours of it is just going to be silliness because him and my husband are going to go into their whole high school, all the stuff they used to say and do because Dee's into karate. I know maybe he told you that, but he's super into karate. And he had all these silly sayings and he still just says them to this day. And as soon as we think about Dee, we just smile because that is the funniest, most fun guy to be around.
1: There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon, or consider donating at funkandstuff.net. Thank you very much.